1: I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So Dr. Jennifer and I were not able to match our schedule up for the past weekend, but we're ready for next week. So she will be on next week to share some great information with all of us about keeping our families safe and weighing our decisions with school and exposure to COVID. So I'm really excited to have her on. This week, we have the questions again though. Also, Ashley and I are working really hard on this co-parenting and divorce three class series. So Ashley is almost done with the presentation for part one. I'll record it as soon as she finishes that up. I have the script ready for part two and I'm starting part three. We will release each class as it becomes available. Um, We may get part one out before next week, but, We also, meaning my family, are taking a much needed and deserved and earned short vacation. We rented a cabin out in the woods all by ourselves. We got a pass to Yosemite National Park. And the passes are really limited. I've never been there, the kids have never been there. It looks so incredibly breathtaking. So we get to go when they are severely limiting the crowds. so this will be a very special trip. Much deserved but short, but that's fine. So I'm really looking forward to that much-needed break and to get this family of five who has been cooped up together for over five months now out of this house for a little change of scenery. So I may get part one out before I leave for that trip, but if not, right after returning from that, it will be a really quick rollout for all three of these classes, one right after the other. So really excited to get those out for our families, parents who are considering that process, you are starting that process um, to make sure that you guys have the support that you need through that. So the first question today is from Rachel T. She wrote to me, Hi Erin, I would first love to say thank you for this class. I have three daughters age seven and identical twins age four. It's helped my husband and I really start to parent as a team. Our biggest breakthrough was discovering that I was treating every tantrum as a true tantrum and he was treating every tantrum as a manipulative one. So you can see how every tantrum situation was incredibly stressful. Since listening to your class, we have learned to spot the differences and have a plan to manage them. So that was one of many breakthroughs we have had. Again, thank you. I do have a question regarding one of my four-year-old twins, Nora. She is a perfectionist, determined, persistent, and competitive. She does have some compulsions that she needs and can fall apart when they can't be met. So for example, she wants to sit in the middle spot on the island, have her toothbrush in the middle, have her drawers Marie Kondoed, so she does this herself. I can accommodate a lot of her requests as her sisters are pretty easygoing. On the other hand, I'm not gonna kick her sister out of the middle spot if she got to the table first. Her first reaction in every situation is that the world is out to get her and is trying to ruin her day. I'm coaching her constantly on speaking in a way that allows her to get her needs vocalized without sounding so negative. So for example, instead of almost bursting into tears as she looks at her cereal and saying, fine, I'll just eat my cereal with no milk then, she could say, can I please have some milk in my cereal? The first sentence is her go-to tone and demeanor and I feel like I'm constantly trying to catch it and spin it around. I love crafting, coloring, and trying new activities with the girls, but now it always ends in heartbreak and meltdowns when she can't do things perfectly the first time. It takes the joy away from the other two who are happy to practice. Make mistakes and try again. I love the class on reasons for misbehavior and realizing that her personality is one of her biggest frustrations. I'm doing my best to understand her temperament and I am passionate about finding the best way to parent and understand my individual children. I just don't want her to struggle so hard and take life so seriously so early on. How do I help support her through all the challenges and learning she will face? Okay, great descriptions, Rachel, great um, information and a great question. So, you know, I can imagine a lot of this is really frustrating to deal with, but there's a lot of it that I really love. So first, Rachel, you're doing an incredible job. You know her really well, you're supporting her in number one, learning how to ask appropriately how to get her wants, desires, and needs met in appropriate ways. And I know this can and has been a frustrating process also at times, but also number two, you also know when to tell her no and let her learn to deal with it, although again, the reaction can be over the top and a bit frustrating to deal with as well, I'm sure. But you're doing a great job with those things. Um, so I want to talk about some positives about this first, and then I'm going to get into some tips for getting um, some other tips for getting through this. You can see her strengths, right? So I love this. I mean, they're a bit extreme, but you can see where she will likely excel. So now it's about helping her learn to be a bit more flexible, right? I think that if you work with her on her strengths and leverage those as part of her contribution to the family, helping her see and feel her value in those really strong strengths that she has just naturally. So any project that you need to do where you need to help organizing, I would I would have her organize and get input on, you know, the gaming closet, the bookshelves, that pesky kitchen junk drawer. She will flourish. She'll feel needed and helpful in a way that most younger kids are usually not helpful. So this will really boost her mood, her self-esteem. She's got a real interest and a trait and and a talent here, I think. So this will help her in all areas. Just feel more happy and excited in general. It'll make the other things go much smoother. In addition, The class on teaching a growth mindset. It covers both the growth mindset and perfectionism. So a growth mindset is seeing solutions, ways to do things differently the next time, not getting stuck in the negative or things not working out or not giving up. So I'm gonna share some tips from that class to get you going in the right direction on that front. First, quickly, I wanna go over perfectionism and what it is so that we're all on the same page here, understand what's happening. Perfectionism is the need to be the best regardless of the circumstances or the practicality, right? Like They want to be the best at everything. They want it to be perfect regardless of their abilities or how practical it might be in that moment. They have a relentless pursuit for perfection while lacking flexibility to learn from mistakes. Self-esteem, rests strongly in performance and product and the outcome. Perfectionists have more self-imposed goals and high expectations of self, so they suffer more perceived failure. So it may not be a true failure, but an A- minus on a project that was the highest grade in the class, or they can't let go of the project or idea that isn't quite the way they wanted it. They can have an obsessiveness, like caught up in the product, lose sight of things that are equally important. So most people go through periods of perfectionism. The concern is when it's a consistent pattern. So this is what we're seeing here, right? Like she's really struggling with the product and the outcome and it not being perfect or the way that she saw it. And then she's being very inflexible about that at the end and and, uh, having a lot of emotional um, turmoil over that. So keep up the coaching on how to ask more appropriately. That will get better. It will with practice and working with her on it. When she uses that tone, that woe is me, right, attitude, remind her how to say it nicely, and then wait until she does it until you follow through on a request. So you're gonna coach her that we can often get what we want if we just ask, and maybe you're doing this already, right? Just remind her of that. You know, when you ask nicely, you can often get what you want, so let's work on that. May I please have some milk on my cereal? Okay, now your turn. Show me how you can say it better then you're gonna help coach her through that. I know she may be a little moody at first, you're gonna get her, um, help coach her through that process, and then once she does ask, and hopefully we will use a nice tone, then you can work on her, give her the milk, so that she can see how when she asks differently, she can very likely get what she's looking for. Okay, so some tips next on helping her with these perfectionistic tendencies when she's giving up too easily, getting upset when it isn't going her way, or turning out the way she wanted or expected it to. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Now that we're back after the break, here are some tips for working with children who are struggling with perfectionism and seem to get frustrated and even give up easily or get upset when things are not going or turning out the way they expect. First, you want to use scaffolding to help children set goals and assist them in meeting that goal. So scaffolding, is just what it sounds like, right? Like we have scaffolding of a building. It's giving support in ways that allow them to build their own foundation to support them in the meantime. So we're going to kind of hold them up, but not too much, right? Not to completely do everything for them, but hold them up in a way that as they start to build their own foundation for their own support, and right, they learn to work through these emotions, learn to do things on their own. So And then we will slowly take away the support over time as they build that up. So we can slowly back down as this transformation occurs. So we're going to give more in-depth coaching. Like at first, we're telling them exactly what to say. Then we're going to back up a little bit, asking them what they could say or how they could do it differently. So let's take the serial uh, example, right? At first, we're going to tell her exactly what to say may I please have some milk on my cereal? Then once she starts to get better at that and she has this sort of reaction, right? Like, fine, I'll just have my cereal without milk. How could you say that differently? How could you let me know in a better way or a more appropriate way what you want? Right, so you're gonna kind of back off of that after you've coached with her in the first steps. And then each time you're gonna back down a little more until soon they're knowing the steps for themselves. So you can do this with any situation. You can scaffold any situation when it comes to learning things, when it comes to the project, you know, the artwork, the crafts, anything you can use scaffolding with that. You wanna help her focus on the process and the effort. So how to get there rather than the outcome. You wanna help your child focus on the process, the journey of the arts and crafts. How fun it is to plan what you're gonna make. Get excited about that. You know, what are you gonna draw? I'm gonna draw a horse or I'm gonna draw an elephant. What are you gonna to draw today? What color should we use? What materials should we use today? Are you gonna cut it out with paper? You wanna use the crayons, right? Helping her choose the colors, the materials, the process of the making the creation and make that exciting, make it fun. Oh, I'm so excited, that looks like fun. Get her excited about the process and the effort going into it. You wanna teach that everyone makes mistakes. So the point is not to be perfect, right? No one is perfect. It is to learn from our mistakes. Life is about trial and error and improving with each try. You wanna have discussions around this. What didn't turn out quite the way she expected? Why does she think that happened? What might she try next time to get a result closer to what she imagined? You know, talking about that this is a process of trial and error. Okay, well, that didn't quite work out the way that you wanted, but you learned something today. The next time, now you've gotten another step, right? You've learned that I'm going to try something a little bit different the next time to maybe get a different result, and that this is just a process that people go through, that no one is ever perfect the first time. You want to teach that not everyone will be equal in all things. So some people are naturally more talented in some areas than others. You want to help them learn their strengths and their struggles, draw on their strengths, right? Help them learn to draw on their strengths, but also give them opportunities to develop in the areas where they do struggle. You want to model and encourage success. Share your successes and your failures. Share how you turned a failure into a success or how you learned and overcame hurdles or a failure of your own. Really talk about this a lot. So I'm gonna cover a few books that you can look into that you can also read during some quiet times and then you can have some discussions around it. So these are the list we have for ages four to eight. The first one is The Most Magnificent Thing by Ashley Spires. The Thing Lou Couldn't Do also by Ashley Spires, Beautiful Oops by Barney Salzberg, The Dot by Peter H. Reynolds, and The OK Book by Amy Krauss Rosenthal. Now, if you have some older kids, or the parents out here listening to this, you have some older kids um, on the class teaching a growth mindset, I do have lists of books for ages 6 to 10, 11 plus in the handout that comes with that class. So if you want more information, more tips, and more background information about teaching a growth mindset and working with kids with perfectionism. The full class goes more into detail on working with kids to be more understanding of how to see and leverage their mistakes as opportunities to learn. It also covers how to keep kids from seeing failures and mistakes as personal, but rather just as part of the learning process. The other classes that can be helpful to this are also the self-esteem classes, as well as the temperament class, which it does sound like, Rachel, you already did start, have watched, but in particular, a couple of traits you want to go back and look you might want to go back and look at is the kids who are low in adaptability. So this means they struggle with change and things that happen outside of their expectations. So you might want to go back and watch that section again to get some lots of tips on working with her on becoming more flexible as well as the section on general mood. So the realistic mood is the kids who see things more negatively that tend to go to the negative view or response rather than seeing things in a more positive light. So you probably wanna check that section out as well. Of course, these are on the website at yourvillageonline.com. You can see samples of these classes. On the page for school-age kids, for sure, all of these are listed. Also, I think a few of them are also on the toddler page. But you can get and see the samples of those classes and see what the agenda covers for each of those classes. Of course, you do get all the classes For all age groups when you join, I just have them divided up by ages so that it's not overwhelming for parents when they come to the site to check out the classes. Also, not every single class for each age group is listed on the page because it just takes the pages too long to load, unfortunately. I just have the most popular classes for each age group listed on those pages, but I do know the growth mindset class, the self-esteem classes, and the temperament class are all listed on the school age kids page for those of you wanting to check out each of those. Okay, the next question is from Ruby about how to handle an issue where her son has had a sore penis and now he won't let anyone take a look at it. So this is a really good question here also. Ruby wrote, hi, Erin. After listening to many of your podcast episodes, you're the only person I can think of to ask this question. My two and a half year old son absolutely will not let me touch his penis when I need to, like washing it in the bath. I think it stems from some pain in the tip a few months ago. I noticed it was red and it seemed painful. His pediatrician said to give him baking soda baths, which we did, and they seemed to help the redness, but he acted like he was in intense pain anytime I tried to even have a good look at it. I eventually took him back to the doctor, this time a male, which I requested and they tested his urine for a UTI, which came back negative. However, the doctor still wanted to see it, and here's where my trouble starts. I prepped him all day with, we're going to see the doctor, he's going to look at your penis, and that's okay because mama will be there with you. I had him repeat it and finish my sentences so that it would sink in. It didn't matter. As soon as it was time to pull down his underwear, he lost it. The doctor didn't help much. He had an impatient energy and didn't do a good job comforting my son at all. So I ended up holding him down while the doctor retracted his foreskin and took a look while my son was screaming and crying. I feel like I've traumatized him and don't know the best way to handle it. It's not red anymore, so I'm not concerned about his health, but I'd like to know how to get him comfortable with letting me wash it or just look at it. It's also not just me, his dad and his other caregiver, his grandma, can't either. I have started asking him while he's in the bath if I can show him how to wash his penis and he says no, looking very concerned, so I don't push it. I just feel like anything I do is potentially setting up for very complicated feelings about his penis. I don't want him to trust just anyone and I never ever want to put him in the position of being forced again, but that means he needs to trust me. On another note, he does let me hold his penis down for him while he's sitting on the potty, but that's more at the base, not the tip. So I think his aversion is from the pain he must have felt in the tip. It's not the entire thing. Very much looking forward to your answer. Thanks so much for all you do. Your podcasts are a wonderful resource, and I listen to episodes anytime I'm starting to lose my mom mind. Your tips and info always help me reset and enjoy my sons again, understanding that life is hard for them right now too, and how I can help them through it. Sincerely, Ruby. Great question, Ruby. You know, this reminds me of a potty training struggle a lot of parents have. So it's like the more you push it, the more they push back, and you end up with the opposite effect, right? They just want to dig in even harder. The good news is I wouldn't worry about any long-term effects about his penis or his sexuality. He will move beyond this. And I'm sorry the doctor was not helpful in this situation at all. I don't feel it caused any long-term issues. It was a one-time thing. But to help the healing of the experience, you want to keep up the dialogue that his penis is his, no one can touch it without his permission, and that next time you'll help make sure that he's more comfortable or you get a different doctor if he's not feeling comfortable about it. And so just letting him know that like we're parents, we're not perfect, right, that now you would handle it differently, like you understand that that probably wasn't the best thing to do and you're really going to make sure that we do this differently the next time. This is also just a great learning experience for kids. We're all gonna make mistakes, we're all gonna mess up, and when we do, we make amends and we let them know how we're gonna do differently the next time. So that's also just a great lesson for them. So for any parents who do come across this, it is okay to say no to a doctor, to a teacher, to a nurse, you know, and to try and go back and do something on a different day. And I think sometimes, you know, we get into these situations where we feel pressured, we're not really expecting this outcome, And we just kind of go with it and then realize like, oops, that probably wasn't what I would do the next time if I were more, just kind of more in the right headspace to have handled it differently, and that's okay. We all make these mistakes. We all do these things. But again, this isn't gonna be long-term. He will move past this. You wanna keep supporting him, helping him get to a place where he can feel more comfortable with letting you and medical professionals take a look when they need to. I'm gonna tell a quick story here. I was an adult at this point, and I had finally learned to use my voice, right, for myself, advocate for myself. I had had uh, two jaw surgeries. I had a jaw joint replacement. I had first had the upper jaw joints replaced, no, the lower jaw joints replaced, and then I had to go back in and get the upper jaw joint replaced, the socket that it goes into. It's a very long, very complicated surgery, and they can't do it all at once. When I had the second jaw joint surgery done, for whatever reason, the doctor at the hospital Either I just didn't understand him properly or whatever, but my understanding was that I could take ibuprofen for the pain. And so I did. Well, anybody out there who's a medical professional is probably going, no, don't do that. Right. But I did. And I ended up not being able to clot. I ended up for anyone who's squeamish, you might not want to listen to this next part. Ended up bleeding out through my nose. It wouldn't stop. It wouldn't stop. It would like try to coagulate and it wasn't happening. And it was just, it was not good. (laughs) I won't go into more details than that. Uh, I went to the emergency room and I'm sitting there. I'm just everywhere, blood everywhere. I keep going to the bathroom, leaning over because I don't want to swallow it. Right. You swallow too much blood. You're going to get really sick. Your stomach does not like that. I'm finally asking them to get me a room. I need a room. Like I've seen people come in that like basically like bump their pinky finger, catching a ball. And I'm sitting there like blood everywhere. And I'm still sitting there for two hours and they're going in and out. And I'm like, you're not triaging me properly. So they said they were waiting for the nose room, like the nose room. uh, You're really making me sit here, wait for the nose room. Like, get me a bed. So they get me a bed. The ER doctor comes up to me. I can tell like the, the emergency room is packed, right? He's very, very busy. He's trying to get through all these patients. I know he's stressed. I can see it in his face. I can see it in his eyes. And I stopped him for a second and I said, listen. I have been through so much. I have had two surgeries. The first one was the most painful thing I've ever been through. I said, I have been to heck and back and I really need you to take a moment and take a deep breath and be gentle with me right now. He was basically coming at me with these big thick popsicle sticks wrapped in gauze that he was going to shove up my nose to try to stop the bleeding, right? to put the pressure on and stop the bleeding. So... I needed him to take a breath and take a minute and be more present with me in that moment than just sort of, you know, I'm not just a, you know, treat me as a human and not as something he's just like another kind of brick in the wall, right? That he's trying to like get into place and get onto the next person. And I could see in his face that he understood this, like I, that I connected with him and he was like, okay, it still hurt really bad. I'm going to save my language here that I normally use when I describe the situation. It stung really badly, but he did connect with me. He talked me through it. He took a few extra seconds to do it a little more gently than I think he would have done it otherwise. And I got through it, got out of there. So I'm just saying, you know, taking your time, advocating for yourself, advocating for your child. It's okay to step in and let someone who we normally think of as an authority figure, right? A very educated, knows their stuff, is there to treat you, there to help you, but they're human. And sometimes they need to be reminded that you might of what you need in that moment and hopefully will connect and listen to us and our needs. So I just wanna to throw that out there. So for my long-winded anecdote of a story, <laughs> they're on my experience. So for Ruby, again, some more. I want to suggest working with him to take complete control of his process for cleaning and caring for his own penis for now. You know, can he pull it back? Can he pull back the foreskin himself? Will he do that so that you can take a look and and just make sure it's healed up or that it's staying healed, right? That he's not getting this infection back because you definitely don't want that again you know, promising him, you're not going to touch it. You're absolutely not going to touch it. Put your hands behind your back that you just want to take a look and make sure there's no more redness. So if he can even just pull it back a little bit, let you take a look. If he does anything, if he even just touches it a little bit, maybe if he doesn't pull it back at all, it just touches it and tries, but then it's like, Oh, I don't want to give him some positive feedback for trying. Thank you for trying. I really appreciate it. We'll try again tomorrow to pull it back a little bit further. So mama can take a look for you. You want to keep giving him that positive feedback one little step at a time. You want to help him alleviate that fear of the pain, right? Which is probably gone now, but I don't think he fully believes that yet. So he still remembers it. So he might be feeling a little averse to having anyone touch it, including himself. So then you can start moving him through the process a little at a time, having him wash it himself, showing him how to do that, having him wash it himself, instructing him without touching it yourself until he can kind of get over a little bit of that trauma. It'll be really important for him to do this so he doesn't get reinfected, like I said. Also, just keep using those baking soda baths, right? In the meantime, it should do a pretty good job of keeping him clean, keeping that infection at bay. After a bit of him getting more in control and going a little bit further each time to kind of pull it back, take a look, and then starting to get to the place where he's gonna wash it himself, and with no pain, he'll have more confidence about all of it, about him doing it, about letting you take a look when you need to, So he'll likely be okay with letting you take the look then. Then once we get to that place, he'll get more comfortable with a doctor taking a look. So this memory will fade with the successes of no pain, feeling more in control of his body again, letting you take a look, him washing himself, all of that. You'll take some baby steps and get to that place. And unfortunately, Ruby asked this question quite a while ago, and I'm sorry it's taken so long to get to it. Uh, We have quite a few questions in the queue right now. So it has taken a while to get to this. So I do want to remind everyone that as a member, if you have a question you really want answered much more quickly, that members do get private video chats. We have private video chats. They're very small right now. We're getting um, maybe three, four at the most, parents on at a time, private video chats with me. So parents are getting that personal interaction with me to get their questions answered um, really quickly when they have them. Basically, I schedule them at a regular interval, but if I have questions that come in, if we get two and three questions and they're queued up, we will schedule it for that week, like within the week. And parents can get that question answered for them within that week of sending in their questions. So, if you have some questions or if you have a question you really like answered right away rather than sending it to the podcast and having to wait several months to get it answered, that is a really great way to get access to me very easily, very quickly. And it's, it's really fun to see some of the parents, some of the other parents who are members as well and just have some connection time too. So I'm, I really enjoy that and I know my parents do as well. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.